0: Hello and welcome, this is LashMentor.ie with your host Julie Dee, a place where we talk about lashes, self-employment, the beauty industry, self-esteem, emotional well-being and how to care for ourselves and thrive in the industry. This is your host Julie Dee. today I'm
1: joined by Betsy Cornwell. Good morning Betsy. Good morning, Julie. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. I'm so excited to be talking to you. <laughs> I've wanted to
0: like have a really good chat with you for ages. And I thought about how am I gonna introduce Betsy? Because you you're so fascinating to me. I find, you know, Thank you've you. so much, you know, you're inspirational. And I was afraid that I'd get it wrong, you know, that I wouldn't say the right thing. So I just oh, thought, you know what? I let Betsy introduce herself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's really kind. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so my name is Betsy Cornwell. I am uh, I'm an American, as you can doubtless tell from my accent. Um, I've lived in Ireland for about eight years now. And uh, the big project that I'm working on right now is I recently moved into an old knitting factory in Connemara with my son, who just turned four, and I'm working on turning it into uh, a family home for ourselves and also um, an arts residency with childcare for or other single moms uh, like myself. Um, I'm also a teacher of creative writing at the National University of Ireland in Galway. I am the story editor for an American magazine called Parabola, and I am a New York Times bestselling author of uh, fantasy novels for young people. So that's, that's what I do. <laughs> This is exactly why I didn't introduce you. <laughs> because there's so much. And you know
0: what? You're actually so inspiring. Oh, so and, much. Yeah, there's just so much there. And I'm saying, obviously, you have a passion for it. Can you just tell me a little bit you know why you chose that exact?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I am. I'm. I'm really, really passionate about it. Um, I'm so excited about it right now, and I have been since you know since I sort of concocted this wild idea. <laughs> um, so when I uh, became a single mother, um, especially you know as an immigrant to Ireland, I became really anxious about being able to provide a, a stable home and base for my child. Um, and I became sort of preoccupied with the idea of homeownership, which is something that that felt really Uh, out of reach for someone like me who's a single parent who's self-employed you know who um, struggled with money after leaving my marriage as Mm -hmm. a lot of people do and uh, you know I just I spent all my time sort of dreaming about houses and um, became really preoccupied with this idea of a safe home that would be, you know, a place where we could feel stable and could could rest and, you know, where I wouldn't have to feel like I was sort of bare-knuckling through life, like I think a lot of single moms have that feeling. Yeah. And, um, and I realized, you know, at the same time, I had joined a support group for single mothers uh, through my local domestic mm-hmm. violence center, and mm-hmm. I came to admire the other women in the group so much and uh there's still you know some of the best people i've ever met these other single moms who have been through a lot of challenges and are really you know working hard to be there for their kids and you know deal with their own uh past and trauma and all of that and and still, mm-hmm. you know, be good parents in the present um, and uh, support their families and all these things. And, and they were so inspiring to me and they really helped me regain sort of my own sense of self-worth, uh, which which can get pretty low, um, you know, when you uh, yeah. when 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 these things happen to you. And so yeah. I I realized that what I really wanted was to be able to um, to offer that to other single moms too, you know, to be able to, to give that sense of, uh, of being proud of being a single mother, you know, because it has become something that I'm really proud of that, you know, like I, I do I have, um, I'm proud of my work and my career. I oh. have a lot of accomplishments, but the thing that the the accomplishment that I'm most proud of in my whole life is sort of rising to the challenge of single parenting. And um, so I wanted to create a space that would celebrate single mothers, single parents. um, And that would, you know, that would center women specifically. And uh, so my dream of home ownership sort of Uh, collided with this dream of creating a space to honor single mothers and other I like to say other twice marginalized single parents so like single parents of color queer parents and so on and um so I I started looking for specifically for sort of strange buildings with interesting histories because you know I'm a writer myself and I I I thought if I could find a building that I could write about, then um, I could use my my voice as a writer to to help make the space happen, to 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 find funding for it, to create publicity for it. You know, that's the strength that I can bring to the table. Um, And so I actually just today, um, you know, have. um, Uh, a finished book proposal about the knitting factory about this building that I found that is Mm -hmm. um, going out on submission into the world so I'm really keeping my fingers crossed uh, for that one Um, but you know I've also yeah um, I've written essays about it and articles for various publications and I've um, started a crowdfunding campaign last year when I moved in that has uh, done really well it is uh, just over 17,000 euros now, which is amazing. Um, and so that's, you know, been a huge, significant yeah. help in um, starting renovations and also contributing towards like contributing, contributing towards a down payment because I'm renting the building right now and hope to be able to buy it in the near future. Um, so, and I am, I'm really passionate about it. And, and that's one of the reasons that I decided to pursue it because, you know, I think um, uh, you need something you, everybody needs something that they wake up and feel excited about, you know, and I think um, oh, when I was a new single mom and I had recently left my marriage and I was feeling sort of stuck and lost at the same time. Um, and, you know, I adore my child, but it is, you know, single parenting is really challenging and uh, I just felt tired all the time and mm. just having a having a project that makes my heart beat faster, you know, <laughs> that I'm really excited about yeah. It's
0: so good for your kid that mom has a passion. You know, it's like the energy of that. I always feel that when I have a passion for something else, just a better parent. You know, because yeah. of my this energy of it changes your life, doesn't it? Yeah,
1: it really does. I hope so. You know, I um I always worry about whether I'm a good enough parent. You know, I think. <laughs> you know what
0: I know for sure though, Betsy. I worked as a mentor before worked in lashes, I worked as an advocate for sure. young um, Sometimes I'd be put to work with families and the one conclusion I came out of, about mm. is that the mother who worries about whether she's a good mother or not is not the mother you should be worried <laughs> about. I think yeah
1: I've heard that from friends before and I think it's very wise and so when I'm feeling when I worry the most I try to remind myself of that and think okay it would actually be a bigger problem if I was completely confident that I was doing everything right. Yeah
0: Yeah, and completely dismissive (laughs) or you know when you go to bed at night you're like you know we were talking about this the other day myself and Sarah from Beanie Brownie Mm -hmm. and when you're when you look at your kids and, and you're like you're a bit guilty because you were a bit short you know temporary yeah. you know short with them maybe at, at one moment in the day or you feel guilty about one thing or another yeah. and I was thinking that conscience is actually the thing that shows that you're actually a really good parent you know
1: and it gets you to um to always try to be better like I think if you can if you can have some self-awareness and right just you know like hopefully not not dwell on things in a shameful way but think critically about your actions during the day then that helps you to to learn and grow and you know and and um instead of sort of just cycling the same things over and over again and I think that's that's important yeah so. that is so important and I think you know a good motivator for sh- for change
0: is shame but only shame when it's brought to the light absolutely you know if you keep it silent and you're embarrassed or guilty about something and you yeah. keep it within yourself you can't offer it empathy but when you share it with somebody else there's the and, and that's probably what you probably get a I can understand why you get a lot from the mothers group as well yeah. because yeah that that real part of you is is given empathy and light so that all those part you know those parts that you're
1: not completely on your own you don't right you know well, just to see that experience reflected in other people, and you know, when we when we talk about how our our week has gone, just that you know, we're very diverse in background, and we might have different experiences in a lot of ways, but that we you know, oftentimes, right, single mothers or all parents do have similar challenges, and just to to hear someone else talk about them can help you feel less ashamed about about what you're going through yourself. And right, I think um, I. I Uh, I think this is a a truism that a lot of people have said, but one of my favorite writers, um, Anne Lamott, always says we're only as sick as our secrets. And I think that's very true Um, in terms of things that you feel ashamed of as well. It's very true.
0: Yeah. Oh, so true. It's actually the thing that's that you're actually more afraid to talk about or more ashamed to talk about is the thing that actually needs needs exposure and needs the light. But they're the right people as well. You know, I remember you know when my boys were really small very on my own like really Mm. like it's really I didn't even realize how lonely and alone I was until yeah you know years later but I feel like what saved me and what has actually given me a load of motivation for life is actually other women you know and kind of those genuine friendships and absolutely authenticity in in it as well you know really authentic women no shamers no mother shamers you know? <laughs>
1: Definitely. Like, well and I think even my partnered friends have said the same thing like you know my friends who are in who are in happy uh, long-term partnerships or marriages uh, mm. consistently say that their women friends are the people who who get them through their life you know in a, in a in the most profound way and I think it's really true um I'm really lucky that I've always I've always had good groups of friends who um care about each other a lot and you know i'm still in contact with a lot of my childhood friends uh even though i'm not in contact with my sort of biological family of origin anymore you know i i've had this experience of um being able to say to my family of origin that um you know the way that i've been treated is not acceptable and i'm going to um Uh, I'm going to stand up for myself and draw some boundaries. And that sort of taught me to be able to say it to my Um, ex-partner as well and I do you know and that that takes a lot of it takes a lot because you know there's a lot of um, societal stigma and shame around uh, you know about around around leaving these close relationships with your parents with your um, with your partner I think both in uh, you know I grew up in a religious community in America and you know Ireland having a, a very Catholic history there's a lot of shame around divorce especially and it took a lot for me to be able to say like you know um, I'm going to end my marriage. I felt a lot of shame about that. Um, but but I do mm. think I've I've learned to be able to say, I don't deserve to be treated this way and and mean it and, you know, create the space uh, for myself to have freedom from um, from abuse. And, and I do hope that my my child sees that and, and learns how to do it as well. You know, um, that's that's really important to me.
0: When I listen to that, I mean you've talked about so many things there about what you're doing and just being a great mutt. and then you're also breaking generational trauma. I hope so. You so. Know, that's a really big piece. It's against the grain and go against the norm, um, yeah. but I also think that anybody who doesn't understand it is privileged. If somebody says, uh, "Like, how could how could you not have contact with X, Y, and Z in your family?" Yeah, yeah. I think the reason, the fact that you don't understand that is shows your privilege that you probably grew up in a you know in a home where you felt accepted or you just feel that you can go back and you you know it wasn't so traumatic
1: it really is i think that's so true you're lucky if you don't understand it and um and and i think that's why again it's it's uh, it's a relief to sort of be able to talk to other people who have that experience because i think it is it's like um I always say it's like emotional abuse or course of control, which is what I dealt with in my marriage. And um that people who people have this image in their mind that um, abuse is only physical. Right. And uh, so it can be hard for people to understand what emotional abuse is if you haven't been through it. And of course it doesn't just happen in romantic relationships. It can happen with family. It can happen with friends, anyone. And, um, but if you don't, uh, you know, and I do think in a way you have to have either experienced it or seen it happen to someone you're close to, to understand it, because otherwise it's hard to comprehend how, how you can love someone who, who hurts you so much. And, and I think that that's, you know, that's a, the reason you have to that, right. I feel really lucky when I, when I meet someone else who I can share that experience with, even though of course I wouldn't wish that experience on anyone, you know, and, um, oh, it's yeah, so true. So, um but actually just what you said about, about breaking generational trauma or generational curses. Um, I, I spoke to, a. Another single mom um, in America named Daisha Holiday, who uh, I I met her through Instagram. Her uh, handle is High Moon Femme, and she's absolutely brilliant. She's one of my favorite people um on the internet <laughs> and uh but she's also a single mother and she says when you heal yourself you heal your ancestors both backwards and forwards in time and that's something that is so powerful to me that like you know yes i i broke contact with my parents but i do believe that there there were there was pain and trauma running in my family for a long time and i hope by i hope by refusing to perpetuate it i can send some of that healing back in time as well as forward. I know that sounds very sort of woo-woo, but it makes me it makes me feel better to think about it, you know. So, oh, so
0: I've I've looked into that as well, so I have an awareness of that. And yeah. it was actually really funny, right? So I put on a I put up it's funny you're saying this. I put up a post on on my page the other day. <laughs> excuse me. And um some page said uh here's a message there's a message from your ancestors um Mm. click on my you know someone commented excuse me and I was thinking in a funny way you can tell them to back off right well I
1: think people can anything people can take advantage of those things you know I think there are certain people out there who are sort of charlatans but yeah but I think there's a really profound um Uh, there's a there's a really profound sort of healing to to be found in thinking about those kinds of things. And that's actually something um that I've been thinking about with the knitting factory project as well. Like I've been doing some research into the history of the building, and I'm still hoping to do more. Um, but, uh, so it was it was a knitting factory about, a, you know, a little more than a hundred years ago when it was founded. And um when I first read about it, I thought of it, it was this sort of charitable organization to teach, Rural women knitting skills so they could support themselves financially, and I thought, oh, this is this really empowering sort of like proto-feminist space, and I love it. It's you know, it's about women supporting themselves and getting independence, which is what I'm trying to do. Um, but mm-hmm. as I as I looked more into it, um, it was actually created by a branch of the Conservative Party in the UK, and how they how they described it themselves was um, they they were. They were creating some some charitable organizations in order to kill home rule with kindness. So they wanted to keep Ireland from wanting independence by showing how kind they could be through through making these charitable organizations. Um, and a lot of the other ones that they created at the same time were like uh, workhouses and Magdalen laundries and pla- a lot of places that were run by the church and that, you know, um, we now know we're full of sort of exploitive practices and um, abuses. And so, uh, so that made me wonder, you know, like, (laughs) how empowering was this space really Um, were these women just being exploited? And um, that's so, so I've been thinking a lot about like, how can I make this space here, uh, at the knitting factory sort of something that will heal backwards and forwards in time as well like if I could give what if I could give something to the women who worked here in the past what would it be you know and like mm-hmm. if I could give something to the women who will hopefully come here in the future um the artist residents like what would that be and uh and and really it's sort of you know um rest and honor and space and like like I said I wanted to celebrate other single mothers and and sort of say that this is something we proud of and I think you know for the women who used to work here who I imagine a lot of them were sort of underpaid and, and exploited at least a little bit I wish I could give them um, honor and rest and space to be themselves, and so like I think you know I, I try to do that for myself as well. Like in this sort of interim time where I haven't gotten the whole project up and running yet, And I'm just trying to buy the building and stuff. Like it's very easy for me to sort of overwork myself and feel and, and feel really burned out and sort of feel really fearful and panicked about am I going to mm-hmm. be able to make it work? Uh, and I do feel all those things, but when I realize I'm feeling them, I, I try to sort of take a breath and and give myself the things that I would hope to give to the other women who have been here and who will be here in the future. And, you know, other single moms who are out there right now, like we all need, you know, a bit of rest and to feel proud of ourselves, you know? So, exactly, yeah. exactly. You know what
0: quote just came to my mind? Mm. I love this invitation. And just as you were talking, it's something to stayed with me for life. And it says, it does not interest me to know how much money you have or mm. how you can be here. I, I want to know if you, after a night, I, I can't, don't quote me on this, after <laughs> a night, um, weary and bruised to the bone, that you can still get up and do what needs to be done to be the children.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, I
0: didn't say that the way it's written. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that poem is all about what substance is in a person beyond all the other stuff yeah and I think you were a really good advocate for that Betsy and just going back to what you're saying there do you know what I thought was very interesting where you look at the history of the factory Mm. and what you found was um, a pretense of niceness pretense of doing good yeah. yeah and you know when you talked about that healing and what you could bring to that and I thought you're already doing it because the link there between what you said about coercive control yeah and what they were doing in the factory it's actually very much the same so we talk about covert abuse that's the word that's exactly. coming up to me. the link you... it's very similar
1: no it, it it really is I got chills when I read about that because I recognized it so immediately. You know, I, I know that kindness, that's actually control. I know it very, very well. Yeah. And I think, yeah. and, and that it's exactly the same on a personal level, and on a political or national level is really interesting to me. And, um, you know, because it, it is, it's all about control and, uh, and sort of manipulation. And, um, so, and, and especially the fact that, you know, this organization was telling women that they're going to help them become independent, but they were actually doing that in order to keep them from becoming independent. And I think that's something that, um, abusers are really good at on a personal level too, of insisting that they're being kind and like, you know, having evidence that on the surface suggests they're being kind, but, but the real motivation behind it is, is, is coercive control. Exactly. And so that's, that's exactly what I I'm hoping to write about and, um, you know, as I as I move forward with these projects about the factory and uh, and I think it's something that we're sort of having a national conversation about in Ireland that there just has has been new laws coming in that mm. that criminalized of control um, and, and emotional abuse to say, actually, you know, this is this is a crime. And um, and so our definition of. Of domestic abuse, of interpersonal violence, is expanding in a way that it really needs to, um, and I think you know, I, and I think it can be helpful to get people to understand. Um, what coercive control and emotional abuse look like on a personal level to talk about it on a political level to say okay we can understand how um, this organization was was working to keep Ireland from becoming independent uh, through pretending to be charitable and then you can you can draw the parallels to how that works uh, between a married couple between a parent and a child and so on and so forth yeah
0: so interesting so if there's somebody listening and they're not too familiar with the wording that we're using here sure would you would you mind just saying a few things. Yeah, you know what are this? What are those kind of signs? Is, yeah. Is something yeah. Share. Um.
1: Yeah, I wish I had my. I wish I had like a dictionary definition <laughs> to <read>. I would <laughs> encourage people style. to. Yeah. Um. I would encourage people to do, uh, some reading. I know the. So the local, um, women's center that I joined the para- parents group in is uh, Cope Galway, and they have a lot of great information on their website. I'm sure, uh, your local regional domestic violence center would have good information about this. And if you feel any concern to anyone listening about a relationship, even if you feel like, well, there's some, there, it gives me a funny feeling in my stomach, but I wouldn't call it abuse. I would still encourage you to, you know, call one of the free hotlines like women's aid or your local center, because I found, uh, I was worried when I first started talking to, to my local center, that they would just pressure me to leave my husband immediately. And that's not what I wanted, you know, but they really did it. They helped me even though that's eventually what I decided, was the, was the thing that had to happen. They all, their goal was always to, to support me and help me feel heard, you know? And so I would really, I, I, it was it was not the experience I thought I would have when I contacted one of these centers, and so it was a lot gentler than that. It was a lot more empathetic than that, and so I encourage people to to reach out if they have a weird feeling about a relationship they're in. Um, but emotional um, emotional abuse uh, it can it's it's sort of um, a pattern of of behavior that uh, makes that that sort of consistently makes you feel. Um, belittled or unheard or like you have to walk on eggshells around the other person. Um, Or, you know, I read something recently that said, you know, uh, my partner's temper scares me so much I've stopped having opinions. And I think that kind of gets gets that part of it. Um, And and coercive control is, again, it's about a pattern of ways in which one partner creates control over the other. and. Uh, so in which one partner sort of uh, their life becomes smaller and, and, and they start to, to feel um, maybe isolated or fearful or doubtful. I think one of the really, it, you know, it is a nebulous thing. And again, I wish I had a dictionary definition in front of me. Uh, and that's yeah. one of the reasons it's so much harder to articulate, so much harder to ask for help than like if you can show someone a bruise and say you've been punched in the face, you know, like it, it's it's a pattern of disempowerment that and especially when it's coupled with this sort of surface level kindness like i was talking about in the history Mm -hmm. of the knitting factory um or like my father who you know would be generous with money as a way to control people um uh it can really part part of why it's so insidious um and makes it so hard to ask for help or hard to be believed is because Uh, it often has that sort of veneer of kindness about it. So when you try to reach out to someone, they'll say, oh, but he's always so generous, you know, he's so uh charming or whatever. Um but mm-hmm. but you are the survivor are left with this feeling of smallness of being unable to trust yourself and uh, I think I've, <laughs> I've sort of rambled a lot but um that's
0: sort no, of no you were I'm, really I'm articulate <laughs> thanks no you were really articulate I just want to go to that piece again where you just said I zone in on that as well about the kindness and the thing that I've noticed as well and I actually was watching something last night about it um where we have this idea about abusers that they're really be forthright, aggressive, or yeah. a particular idea about them. They're monsters or whatever. Yeah. And the I mean, thing we forget that they can be in they can be in jobs that we would never even think Absolutely. they would be emotionally abusive. In fact, you know, for a lot of women their walls are down in some ways because the the person might be in a job that they never expect. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important to remember as well that someone who uh, is emotionally abusive or controlling towards one person can be really kind and loving to other people. Like, you know, um, and that's something that can make it really hard for survivors to be believed. I think, right, like if you have an idea in your mind of abusers as monsters, then when someone says it's your brother-in-law who did it, you're you're not going to believe it because you know that he, you know, Um, He plays well with your kids and he's a good conversation partner. And, you know, he held your hand when you when when you were in mourning. He's not a monster. So so you can't believe that he would do something like this. But that's exactly you know, that's exactly the thing. Like, we're all human. Every every human being is capable of harm, you know, and when you say someone has abused you, it doesn't mean that they are a worthless monster, you know, and I think that that's something that keeps survivors from coming forward as well. Because like I, you know, because you also care about your abuser in, in these close interpersonal relationships. And um, I, I certainly don't think of the people um, who have caused me harm as as monsters. I think they're human yeah. beings, you know, and in an ideal world, they need help. Um, I'm not the person who's able to help them because I'm the person Ooh. that they've hurt, you know. And so I think it's very easy to get defensive when someone says that, you um, someone you love abused them but it's really important I think to keep the humanity of both those people in mind and you know most of the time survivors are not saying this person is completely worthless they're saying I need help being safe from this person you know and 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 I think that's the thing to center is how can you help the survivor be safe and not defend the person you love from the idea that they could ever cause any harm to anyone you know um,
0: exactly exactly and that's um Oh, uh, you know people who've only who've been through that totally get it and yeah. it's it's so hard for them to explain that. especially um especially that type of abuse to actually yeah. even be able to articulate it. Definitely. Um and the other thing I know that I I feel and I've noticed anytime I saw red flags is boundaries when you're with somebody who is controlling they have an issue with your you having boundaries. Yep. <clears throat> The first signs I, I notice is that it's almost like you can't have boundaries or yeah. you create a boundary and a step over. Yeah. So, like the thing is, as well, is that there can be a stigma that women who have escaped from these relationships are not strong women or that they're, you know, in yeah. some way they're extremely vulnerable or something. But actually, yeah. that's not the case at all because manipulators are extremely good at manipulation and it's so subtle yeah, isn't it it's so subtle a lot of the times
1: other people who know them you know they're so good at manipulation that other people who are close to them won't believe you and so that's exactly why right the women I know who have left emotional abuse are across the board a hundred percent the toughest women I have ever met and like I said it was really going to that group that helped me to see that and I, I remember the first time I went to I mean, it sounds hokey, but I went to a, like a healing day that the the right. domestic violence had put together, a uh, violence center had put together for these uh, survivors, and I was fresh, fresh out of my relationship, feeling extremely raw, you know. And I went to this, and I just heard the other women speak, and we like did yoga together, and did art therapy, and whatever. And um, I, but just it occurred to me that there was nothing wrong with them, you know, and that kind of. Um, kind of blew my mind because it forced me to realize that there was nothing wrong with me that in fact my relationship hadn't become abusive because there was a deficit in me you know and um, and like <laughs> as, as much as I have always been a feminist and I you know I write these books that are all about girl power and stuff um, but I still had gotten it into my inside of me that it, that this man I loved had started treating me badly because there was something wrong with me. And it took seeing the other women who'd been through the same thing and just it being so obvious that there was nothing wrong with them for me to understand that it actually was not my fault, you know?
0: So, yeah. Yeah, Betsy,
1: because I think that the
0: recovery sometimes even the recovery is backdated and there's yeah. this big talk about show oh, you're tr-, you know yes of course it can happen because of childhood trauma or whatever right. we can repeat patterns right but then there's all this oh you know you can own abusers abuse codependent people or this yeah. kind of stuff it's all right? It's
1: all shaming. It's all, and I think it's really people trying to convince themselves that it couldn't happen to them. You know, like if you can say, mm-hmm. oh, abusers seek out this kind of person or whatever, then you can say, I am safe in the knowledge that I will not end up in an abusive relationship. It won't happen to me, you know, and um, and, and it really can happen to anyone. And I think that's then part of the shame. You don't want to admit that you're in an abusive relationship because then you become the kind of woman who gets abused, which is right, like stigmatized as this, as this weak codependent. Yeah dormant person and yeah um, but it's like it's so not true and I think just the as you know and one of the support person at the at the women's center who helped me to like articulate it in a different way as you know anybody can get into an abusive relationship like even I now having come through all this and like you know any opening yourself up to relationship includes the possibility of mistreatment, right? Like any any relationship, and I'm not just talking about romantic relationships, includes vulnerability, which means that someone could use that to mistreat you. And as you said, abusers are extremely good at manipulation. What's important is what you do once you realize the dynamic is there. So anyone can end up in an abusive relationship. What's important is how you handle it once you realize it's there. And I think that's, again, one of the reasons why I say the women I've seen who have stood up for themselves and said it's not okay for me to be treated this way are absolutely the strongest most resilient toughest women i have ever met
0: yeah, yeah and i think that they obviously must have just been able to see the pattern and yes. then it's they have that awareness that you know that oh wait this has happened more than once
1: yeah and then, totally.
0: and there is a journey of being able to say whoa, this is about the other person because the abuser wants you to believe that there's something wrong with you. The yes. gaslighting, the kind of, you know, and doubt your own mind. And yes. they they work so diligently for you to believe that. Yes. Domestic violence don't push you into leaving us. They know, that, uh, they know that you have to have a process of getting your own autonomy back. Yeah, absolutely. And that can happen before you leave the relationship.
1: Absolutely. And I think women are especially vulnerable to... To taking on responsibility for their own abuse because we've been socialized, um, and again, I say this as someone who who loves fairy tales and romance novels. I work with fairy tales in my writing, and you know, like, but um, I I really internalized, and I think a lot of women do uh, this idea that like the love of a good woman will transform. Will transform a man. You know that if a man is angry, if a man has a temper or a darkness inside of him, that the love of a good woman will heal him. And like, obviously, there are a lot of usually end the with beast. <laughs> like you know, that is not true. Like um, people. <laughs> like you can only- and I think they even believe
0: it. I and think yeah, even exactly. the. the- and I think
1: that's one of the reasons they get so <laughs> angry at you um uh we uh you you know they think that it's your fault they do you know I think right abusers can't abusive men can think that their their female romantic partner should be able to keep them from feeling this deep anger you know and so then they blame you when they feel it and and then you I as a woman I, one of the reasons I felt so ashamed at my marriage ending was because I felt it reflected on, on me as a woman that like, I wasn't, I, my love wasn't good enough to save him, you know? And like, I, I you can probably hear the anger in my voice when I say that now, because I, I, I'm so angry yeah. that I felt that way, you know? But, yeah. um, and, and I, and I, I even got that messaging from other women sometimes, you know, um, from women who, who had stayed in long-term relationships that, included some unhealthy patterns um but had had internalized that idea so deeply um that they were they were you know that they were staying with men who hurt them in the hopes that their love would be enough to make him stop you know um and also um
0: usually he probably has a history of that, the likelihood is. Yeah. But maybe the person previously may not have been aware. And I think one of the things we look for as well, and I, I don't know if you'd agree with this, is listen how he speaks about the past. Absolutely. Romances. Yep.
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, right, that's why you get so many men talking about crazy ex-girlfriends, right? Um, There's a a comedian who I thought made a great point that uh, it was a male comedian, actually, who said, you know, all these guys talk about their crazy ex-girlfriends, but you never hear women talk about crazy ex-boyfriends, because crazy ex-boyfriends are the ones who will, you know, stalk and abuse you and hurt you. (laughs) and Like, you know, so, um, like, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's fine with my ex, he always was very careful to speak positively about his past relationships because he knew like I trained as a as a rape crisis counselor when I was younger and I knew a lot of the sort of more common signs of course of control and he uh had a background in which he knew a lot of this terminology as well and so he was able to sort of like (laughs) you know avoid some of those most common red flags I think but um Uh, But yeah, absolutely. I think if a man speaks poorly about his ex partners and speaks disrespectfully about them, or even, you know, speaks disrespectfully about his mother or the other women in his life, um, female bosses, whatever, like not just I mean, obviously, you can have you can have difficult history with people, you can have negative opinions of people, including women, of course. But I mean, like, if he speaks disrespectfully about the women in his past, that is an indicator that eventually he will think of you the same way. Yeah
0: exactly and also the pattern
1: of i'm the victim if yes. they start out with a
0: victim victim story about something yep. and we as women are so especially because they're all often attracted to empaths sure. so or yeah to to people who have empathy you know the natural reaction of somebody with empathy is to actually feel, you know. To right, because someone has high
1: levels of, of sympathy. Uh, and it, right, I think, again, like like women are taught that this is an attractive thing, you know, for, for men to need healing. I Like I do, I... I I've come to have a problem with the word empath, even though I used to describe myself that way, because I mm-hmm. think that exactly like you said, it means a person with empathy, which is like frankly a normal person, you know. <laughs> and so I think um, there's this sort of uh, this this sort of like rhetoric around the word empath that can mean like you know that. I think I think we we live in a society in which and which real empathy is discouraged, you know, like someone who looks for the good in people, someone who feels other people's feelings. Um, Like, I I think that that is a healthy person, you know, so I think so. I think, yeah, like that's that's what I would say, a a person with empathy. Um, And that's, again, like, uh, you know, and I think empath is often used like you were saying, when people talk about abuse online is like, oh, you know, abusers seek out codependent people. Like they can say, oh, abusers seek out empaths. But again, I think an empath is a normal person, is someone who feels empathy loving-kindness towards the struggles of other people you know I agree with I agree with that to a
0: degree but I, I also think there's a highly sensitive person sure you know yeah, like I think that there are degrees
1: of everything I just find there's something self-congratulatory about the word empath that makes me really uncomfortable yeah
0: yeah and I also think it can be used in a way of people who, reco- who are recovering from trauma mm-hmm. they they mightn't just be an empath but they might their emotions manipulated exactly. so much that right. oh, they could be recover- actually survivor trauma right. and they feel if they feel like i'm i'm an empath but it could don't let anybody exploit your empathy it's something that i've had to learn myself mm-hmm. and then in my own family one of my children i know is definitely a highly attuned kind of sensitive soul sure. he's so But he's just genuinely that way he was born like that when the other little when the other twin used to get physical uh used to get sick this guy uh, this my very highly attuned and kind of sensitive um he would get the physical symptoms
1: oh wow yeah
0: so he'll come home from school sometimes and he he say to me like even last week mom i had a pain in my tummy because i saw something happen with another boy And it upset me and I I was upset for the little boy. And so I had to explain to him a little bit about emotionally he takes on everything in the environment and helping him with that. So there's he's just naturally like that.
1: And I think Oh, absolutely. And like I mean, I'm not saying yeah, I think people absolutely have different tendencies and different personalities and you know, different sort of levels of intuition. And um absolutely I think it's just like the way the word empath is used currently sort of like sometimes I and I have actually I've I've met quite a few people who call themselves empaths and are very skillful manipulators including my (laughs) ex-partner you know I I can't stop laughing at that because that's real you know because that's actually I've experienced it
0: (laughs) so yes there's so much ways that anything can get abused isn't it yeah exactly so I think
1: that's one of the reasons that I sort of but I absolutely know what you mean and I've known people like that as well who are are, um like who who seem almost psychic in their huge attunement to to the to the emotions of other people absolutely and I'm not like I'm not denying that I think it's just I I have seen it sort of co-opted in this sort of um uh like you were saying about that person who commented like oh I have a message from your ancestors if you if you pay me twenty dollars I will tell you what it is sort of thing you know <laughs> like yeah um.
0: Yeah. I think that's yeah. so funny you've said that because it actually is my experience. And I remember once oh my God, I can't believe I've seen it but somebody who I knew was very manipulative and yeah he said something to me like oh you know Julie I, I'm such an empath yeah <laughs> and and I I in my head I responded no you're not you're a total yeah. narcissist <laughs> yeah
1: maybe it's one of those things that like you need that's a na- label that needs to come from other people rather from oneself you know like maybe that's it I don't know yeah. exactly <laughs> we can
0: laugh yeah um, for sure so Betsy what is next for you
1: Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, hopefully, um, hopefully uh, my, my the next step in the knitting factory project is is being able to buy the building. So I'm still running this crowdfunding campaign. Um, it's just just reached 17,000 euros. Uh, the goal for right now is 25,000. And hope ho- I'm hoping in the next few months to be able to to put through an offer on the building and um, then be able to work towards um, doing some renovations and and welcoming my first single mother artist resident. I've actually just started working oh. with um, a producer at NBC, the television um, network in America, towards doing a, a short documentary about this project about you know, renovating the knitting factory into a, an arts residency, um, and so she is going to be coming to do some filming this summer, and so I'm excited about that, although a little trepidatious. <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. uh, that that will be that will be fun, and hopefully we'll we'll raise the platform for the project and get more people interested in it. Um, and also, my my next novel is coming out early next year. It is um, sort of a response to. Uh, the classic novel Jane Eyre, and it's called Reader. I murdered him, so um, that was a lot of fun to write, and uh, I'm I'm revising it with my editor right now. It'll be coming out next year. So those are sort of um, the the professional projects that I'm focused on right now. And of course, uh, my son just turned four, so he's a lot of fun. I'm finding this is a great a great stage that I'm really enjoying. So that's that's a great part of my life right now too. <laughs> oh wow! And
0: Betsy, let me ask you, where how do you get so much energy? Oh, God. Really? <laughs> Were you always so energetic?
1: No, I'm exhausted all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're probably exhausted uh, to your bones.
1: I really am. I still feel like I was just saying to a friend you know he just turned four but I feel about 10 years older than I did when he was born and um my friend was like oh it's the trauma and I mean sure like part of it was going through the end of my marriage and stuff but I also think a lot of it is just like all the sleep loss like um, all the broken sleep has been a really has been one of the most challenging parts of parenting for me and I still feel like I'm going to be catching up on sleep for the next many years um and I yeah you know I like a lot of single parents who don't receive financial support from anyone else, I have to work too much in order to make ends meet, and I'm tired all the time. Um, but you know, it's uh, and that's one of the that's one of the other reasons that I wanted to work towards this project of of ownership That hopefully, once I've achieved it, will will just give me a little more time and space to to rest. That's that's a, that's a real dream of mine. Um, and uh Mm -hmm. but you know i think part of it is if it's a project i feel really passionate about then i will stay up late at night to make it happen and um
0: uh you've got a lot of drive so yeah you you just
1: i think you know like i think what what makes me keep going is just the feeling that like either either it's 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 try to do the things you care about or it's just sort of get pushed around by the winds of fate, <laughs> you know. And so yeah. between those two things, I, I'm going to try. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, you know, when I'm talking to you, I'm very aware that you're obviously very conscious. And I feel that when people are conscious or they're willing to learn and um, take responsibility for their own emotional selves and just that that awareness of of life and yeah. and wanting to wanting to heal things and stuff it creates space for you to be driven and motivated because you're not weighed down with emotional and you know mental weight absolutely you know, it creates space
1: Yeah. And right. Just that just space. And I think nobody in the sort of in the sort of, um, you know, late capitalist society that we live in has enough sort of just just space to to rest and be kind to ourselves. And that's a real dream of mine to create that. But I also, I th- and actually this is probably the thing I want to, the note I want to end on. Um, when I came across the Knitting Factory and made the proposal to the current owner for this project, I was reading a book called Pleasure Activism by Adrian Marie Brown. And it is one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life. And I say that as a voracious reader, as a professional author. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a really, really brilliant book about creating a better and more just world through the things that bring you joy and pleasure and, um, and, and finding the ways that the things that truly light you up and excite you can help create justice uh, in the world. And um, that, that was what really sort of encouraged me to make the leap to, to sort of do this, this risky endeavor towards trying to buy this house and make it happen is, uh, is something that, that, you know, it's easier to work hard on something that brings you joy that you that you feel passionate about. And um, so I, you know, uh, yeah, pleasure activism by Adrian Marie Brown, one of the best books I've ever read, really helped me to understand how I can connect the things that bring me pleasure with the kinder and better world that I hope we're all working toward. Oh,
0: absolutely! I actually totally get that because um, when I think about, you know, I'm a, a lash tech, I you know i mentor other lash techs but when i think about it i i really do it because i actually want women to become uh independent financially because i know how much that can change people's lives how it changed mine and it actually comes from that place and then i also i also love children i always feel that improve a woman's life or help her to become independent, then whatever children she has
1: or may have in the future, it'll benefit them. Absolutely. I think that's so true. And right, like, you know, I think uh, and I loved the the mentorship program that you offered to other single moms. I think that's absolutely amazing um, and inspiring. And I think, right, like a single mother is someone who is filled with so much sort of fierceness and determination um and and deep caring that like there's you know if you want to if you want to help someone who will go on to to help others who will who will who will go on to to make that to make that count you know and and, like there's there's no one more worthy of that than a single mom because you know like a single mom is someone who has been in the trenches who you know understands hardship and is and is and is determined to make a better life for herself and her kids and any help you give a single mom will be multiplied in her community like a hundredfold over I absolutely believe that's true
0: yeah I absolutely <laughs> believe that too um and so that brings us to your Patreon I don't even know how to say that word oh yes. but- yeah I think that's how you say it
1: Uh, Yes, so I actually just started, this is sort of, uh, so when I started doing the Knitting Factory project, I created a crowdfund pool, which is sort of for one-time donations. People can contribute to the fund for renovating the building and contributing to the down payment. But I also created um, a Patreon page, which is um, a sort of ongoing donation platform. So you can contribute um, any amount that you like, really, every month from, you know, one euro up to However much you would prefer, and um, I offer sort of um, I try to offer a lot of exclusive perks to Patreon members. I have I do writing that is only available uh, to those members. I share previews of mm-hmm. the work I'm going to publish that's in progress. And recipes um, and recipes. That's right. So Ooh. I love cooking. I do my sort of ultimate pipe dream would be you know that I would have a cooking show set in the Knitting Factory as well. I, like you know it's a complete oh. fantasy of mine. And um, so I do a lot of recipes, uh, and I do. Um, I do monthly uh, writing and creativity classes um, at uh, certain levels. I do private writing and mentorship classes over Zoom. Um, I have clients in different countries now, which is really cool. And, uh, you know, as I said, I'm a I'm a New York Times bestselling author and I teach writing at the university here in Galway. Uh, so I do have a lot to offer in terms of writing mentorship. And I really enjoy um, giving that to people as well. And my monthly writing group classes are free for single mothers so um any single mother is welcome to come to that writing and creativity class for free and it's very casual we have a chat and uh it's it's a really warm little community which is something that that makes me really happy
0: oh wow betsy tell people where they can find you
1: Yes. Okay. (laughs) So um, I am at Old Knitting Factory on Facebook and Instagram, uh, as well as Patreon. It's just patreon.com slash old knitting factory. My own website is betsycornwell.com. And uh, you can read about the Knitting Factory project as well as my books and my other work uh, there at (laughs) betsycornwell.com. Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you. And um, you know what I was just thinking
0: there when you were talking about, you know, your Patreon and your funding and stuff. And I was thinking I've always had the belief that whatever you give comes back to you. And Mm. I feel that, you know, giving something and just supporting another woman will come back. Energy of that comes back to you. Betsy, I've had so many situations where, you know, I've given something and I've forgotten about it. And Mm. And in a time of where I need really needed help, I'll give you an example. At Christmas, the um, something around the boys' toys, one, one thing showed up and it was completely broken. It was the week before Christmas. I was full up with clients, and I'm very I'm very close to a primary school uh, teacher, principal of mine as a kid, and in the in the post that same day, I got this check for a hundred euro and oh a carriage and it was the exact cost of oh, wow. what had broken and what I was crying over and worrying yeah. you know I was so full of clients that weekend anyway I was thinking I don't even have time yeah. to yeah going this and then another absolutely. friend of mine said Julie I, I can even go and get that for you That's I funny. always feel that the energy of giving yeah. in a genuine way will come back
1: absolutely and just the the experience that I've had Absolutely reflects that. And also, it's just been really profound for me to realize that people genuinely want to help me, you know, I think that's something that can be hard to realize, especially if you've been through um, an abusive relationship, and you you do feel that kindness always comes with a price tag, you know, it has been yeah. kind of earth shaking for me to see hundreds of hundreds of people now who have, I'm going to cry talking about it right now, but like who have I yeah. uh, contributed to the crowdfund and really just because they want to help me and they don't, they're not going to hold it over my heads. It still is blows my mind, you know? And so I think it like asking for help is a more profound experience than I think you realize before you do it, because absolutely like, you know, the things you give to the world come back to you, but also it helps you to understand that the world does not have to be a place in which help help does not come you know and so I think that that's like the experience of asking for help is really humbling and can be really scary um whether that asking for help is right like you know asking people for money so you can achieve a goal like I've been doing or whether it's you know calling the women's aid hotline and and speaking out loud that you need help with your relationship which can which can be even more scary like the experience of of receiving actual kindness that does not have a price tag from other human beings, like really shifts um, your understanding of the world and also what what human beings deserve to receive from each other. And I think that's really an important experience for everyone to to have. Yeah, and it's, and it's so healing. And when you haven't had it before, it's hard sometimes to accept this. Absolutely, there's this
0: there's um, a beautiful song. Alanis Morissette um, wrote it. Will you be my girlfriend? And it's about, I think it's about female relationships. And she Mm. goes and she says, like, I guess you give and I give back. Um, You reach out, I pat your back. Mm. Um, And then there's a part in the song where she says, I didn't feel I had the right to be supported. And it's about that relationship with another woman helping her realize that she does have that right to be supported. And even if she didn't get it in the places she was supposed to get it, that it, she that you can find other relationships where you will get it
1: yeah i think women are taught we're supposed to be givers and not receivers you know so it is it can be like it then then of course you don't expect to receive that much in in relationship because you know you're you're supposed to find joy in giving to your partner you know but right like it is so that i think that is one of the reasons that it is in in relationships with um with other women or other marginalized people that you understand what what mutual giving really looks like, yeah. Um, Absolutely, my dear. I'm going to leave you. <laughs> go it's
0: been an absolute pleasure, Betsy. Yeah,
1: really has. It's been thank really you. wonderful speaking with you. Um, thank you, and I think you'll inspire so many other women when they hear this. Oh, thank you so much. um I'm 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 really pleased to have been able to have this conversation. I've I've learned a lot just from talking with you. It's really, and I'm glad to have found out that we have so much in common. I think that's really wonderful. So. My pleasure.